0: you thanks so much for listening to the show this podcast is sponsored by made to move physical therapy and we believe that movement is medicine if you have been dealing with pain that's preventing you from doing what you love and if you're looking for a healthcare provider to help you meet your goals then go to made to move contact us that two is the number two fill out the form and reference the healthy charleston podcast listeners get 10 percent off their first session Welcome back, everyone, to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Hannah Briel. And in today's episode, we get down into pelvic health with Dr. William Mills, owner of Alenia Performance in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Pelvic floor PT, especially men's pelvic floor PT, was not on Dr. William Mills' radar by any means, but once he experienced a few life-changing stories, he was all in. We talked all things pelvic health, starting with what even is pelvic health? So a lot of physical therapists, pelvic floor PT, is focused on women, but William saw the need for this to be treated in men as well, actually. So prostatitis, prostate cancer, testicular pain, and pelvic floor issues are way more common in men than you think, and actually one in 10 men will experience pelvic pain or pelvic issues. Did you know that erectile dysfunction is a precursor to cardiovascular disease and a potential cardiovascular event? So we talked a lot about that. We talked about a few things that may be common but not normal and some signs that things may not be all right and that you should go get checked out. So Doc Mills is located in Baton Rouge, but he does virtual assessments as well. If you know a male in your life with a history of pelvic pain, prostate cancer, or anything we talk about in this episode... There is hope, and he doesn't have to suffer in silence. So we answered the hard questions. How much wiping is too much wiping? What's the connection between nutrition, gut health, and pelvic floor issues? Most importantly, what do Star Wars and butt stuff have in common? So this episode was very enlightening. You'll definitely want to listen, especially if you're a student. You need to know more about pelvic health physical therapy. Everyone, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy. Where are you at right now?
1: This is my office. I like it. Squat rack. Nerd wall.
0: Where is the office located?
1: Baton Rouge, Louisiana.
0: What like where at?
1: Um so I am in recalibrated strength and conditioning. Okay. This is where I have my this is my main clinic. And then I also treat out of two other gyms in town. Um one is an iron tribe fitness. Do you all have iron tribe in South?
0: Yeah, we have a couple. Uh-huh.
1: And then another one is the boot, boot crossfit. It's in a it's in a town outside of Baton Rouge.
0: Oh, okay. So no CrossFit Gyms. What's that? No CrossFit Gyms.
1: The boot is a CrossFit gym. They have maintained their affiliate. Um recalibrated dropped their affiliate last
0: year. Okay. So but still CrossFit, just not CrossFit.
1: Yeah, That's they didn't like
0: everyone did here.
1: Still CrossFit programming.
0: Yeah, it's just that they don't pay three thousand dollars, but they had already paid before they dropped it. You know? Oh really? Yeah. We so our gym dropped it, but they had already paid. Like it had already renewed before all that stuff happened, and so we still did the open as CrossFit.
1: Um, yeah. So yeah. They we did the open here this year. Um it's just the participation isn't the same as what it used to be. Yeah. I uh I I grew up during what I called the golden age of CrossFit. Uh-oh. Where I got into it 11 years ago when five-finger toe shoes were a thing and
0: Oh, those days.
1: You taught yourself how to do snatches on YouTube.
0: Mm -hmm. And it was Um, like a cult, like actually more of a cult. It was like in someone's like hidden basement.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, we were at a, we were at a big health and racquetball club um, in, in my hometown, Lafayette, Louisiana.
0: Okay. I'm from Mandeville.
1: You're from Mandeville?
0: Yeah. I lived in Mandeville until Katrina. And then no shit. moved around a lot. Yeah. So my friends that I emailed you about, they lived in Baton Rouge, but they, I met them at college. Um, Wait, my,
1: friends that you emailed? Oh, uh, Jared
0: and Christian first... from Red Sick. But yeah. yeah. I know Louisiana pretty well. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Lafayette. That's where I'm from. That's where I was born and raised. Okay. Um, Reds is like the Franco's.
0: I was going to say, is it Franco's? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Reds was, Reds was the biggest. Red Laurel was, was Mr. Olympia. Like he was, he was one of the last natty Mr. Olympias, uh, in like the seventies. And after he won, he opened up Reds. So I grew up there and worked out there and some of the trainers when I was in high school, um, did a strength conditioning class or course type thing at our high school and then um and then we continued on like one of them got into crossfit the other one was super big into kettlebells so we just did like a mesh type thing yeah and then started training super hard then went to college and I started doing CrossFit at uh, Go CrossFit. Was training super hard. Got into wanting a coach. They made an, they made an offer, so I took my L one and started coaching. Um, three days before my first open in 2012, it was either 2012 or 2011, I tore my ACL.
0: How did you do that?
1: Push jerks. Ooh hop forward on a push jerk and
0: yeah did you we'll, see uh was it Sarah we'll Sigmund's daughter in a split jerk
1: no I didn't see that I her, she, she tore, tore her
0: ACL a few months she ago tore her
1: ACL but I didn't see it I didn't see it happen
0: no I didn't see it oh god I don't know if they posted it but that's she was like oh it was a split jerk and I was like how like you split jerk all the time, but it's just like that one weird line. Was it a front
1: leg or back leg? I don't know. I could see it happening more on a on a split if the if the front leg or sorry, if the back leg like was in the weird externally rotated foot planted position and she turned in real quick, but I can't remember what I did past the hop forward. I feel based off memory that my foot was on the ground but i don't know if it was like a timing issue or like i hit my lockout and then it was only 135 like it yeah, was like, it was in the middle of a workout it was my last round i was feeling myself <laughs> I, was, I had done all it was like five round workout with 15 push jerks at 135 and some double unders and something else and i'd gone i was going unbroken and I had I was on rep 13 of the last round of course and just freaking it was like a shotgun blast thought somebody shot me didn't hurt but it just scared the shit out of me
0: it didn't like, hurt
1: it did not hurt it didn't hurt at all it was, it was the weirdest thing uh, that's why I didn't think that I really did much but then it swelled up Super bad yeah. after the fact. Um, and then I started having the feelings of instability. and Yeah, it was a dark time.
0: Did you get surgery?
1: Sure did. I telegraphed.
0: Love that. It's always like the last rep. Like I had a friend do Helen, and on his last pull-up, he fell off the bar and he broke his wrist.
1: Mm. Like if broke he- my wrist too.
0: Really? Knock on wood, I've had obviously CrossFit training injuries, but I've never broken any bones.
1: I broke my wrist playing lacrosse in high school.
0: Okay, yeah, there you go.
1: I mega-fushed. I, got, I tried to do a jump shot. I got hit in the air, fell down.
0: Yeah, <laughs> not great.
1: Crushed my radius.
0: How do you feel about people who say Lafayette? Or Lafayette.
1: I I love this conversation. So, have you ever seen *Inglorious Bastards*? No. You have never seen that movie? It's
0: really bad about movies.
1: Okay. Well, it's a great movie, and I highly recommend it. Okay. There is a Quentin Tarantino did the film, and it's Quentin Tarantino is like notorious, blood and guts everywhere. There's a scene in *Inglorious Bastards* that ends in an entire bar in Nazi Germany, having a shootout and everyone dies. Like they just all kill each other. It's like a one guy shoots another, other guy, and then the bartender pulls out a shotgun and everyone's just getting blown up. Great. All starts by the undercover Inglorious Bastards uh, unit. One of the dudes speaks German, um, he's an he's an American, but he speaks German, and he's talking to this dude, and the dude says, "So where did you say you're from?" And he says, "So and so," and he's like, "You emphasize the wrong word. I know you're not from there. Like you em- emphasize the wrong syllable. I know you're not from there," and it gives it away, and then that starts a shootout. I always say the number one way. That you know someone's not from Louisiana is if they say Lafayette. Lafayette. Not
0: Lafayette.
1: Yeah.
0: La- Lafayette.
1: That's that's wrong too. It, really? Yeah. Like if if it's not la, if it's not like you're gonna say laugh.
0: Lafayette. Then you laugh
1: yet, yeah. How
0: do, Lafayette? I say Lafayette. Yeah. So I'm. I'm not At that familiar. point.
1: That's not, not as bad. That's how you know you're not from Lafayette. but if someone says they're from lafayette louisiana and they say anything but lafayette they're not from there and they're lying okay and you're probably gonna find yourself in a bar shootout
0: yeah where everybody dies have you seen the interview with Um, uh, a james franco and at the end like (laughs) penises are flying everywhere that's what that reminds me of. It's just like someone all gets this shit. Is it like going crazy?
1: Someone gets their balls blown off and it shows it in this movie. It's, it's gory.
0: This is why I haven't seen it. It's no, what a great way to introduce what you do. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm Hannah. I didn't even introduce myself. Um Eve connected us. How do you know Eve?
1: Yes. Eve uh, reached out to me on Instagram um, a couple weeks ago, and we just—he wanted to know more about what I do yeah. and how my practice is set up. And we were just chatting, and he asked me if I wanted to be on the podcast. Huh. i have never met him; before. I've never talked to him before. I've known Danny for a while. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Back in the golden age of CrossFit, I went to. Mobility WOD certification in Pennsylvania in 2012, and I was super pissed that Kelly Staret wasn't there. Um, and this dude named Danny was. I was like, "Who the hell is this?" <laughs> but I've talked to I've talked to Danny a couple times on Instagram. I went on a on a road trip up and down the East Coast um, three years ago now. When after I finished my first. When I first got out of school, I didn't know if I wanted to come back to Louisiana immediately. So I took a travel contract in North Carolina. And whenever I finished it, I reached out to every PT on the eastern seaboard that I knew between North Carolina and Boston. And I went on a massive interview road trip. Wow. Um, And Danny was on the list, but Danny and I scheduled it in um, didn't coincide, so I haven't, I haven't seen him since Pensacola. But
0: since Mobility Wad, mm-hmm. mm, yeah, that's too bad. Did you end up working for any of those places that you interviewed for?
1: It wasn't. It was me interviewing the person. Okay. For my podcast. Oh. It was a really good like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Want to hang out? But I'm also doing this podcast if you want to be on it. Yeah.
0: And then when did you create your own thing?
1: Once. Have we officially started? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You want me to to give give you the full scoop?
0: Yeah, I'd love it. Go for it.
1: Okay. So the timeline is I did that. I, I did that road trip right before, like I went up to Boston and then I came back down to Louisiana. It was really, really hard on my tires.
0: where did you go to school?
1: I went to St. Augustine in okay. Austin. So I went to the Austin, Texas campus.
0: Oh, I didn't know they had one.
1: Mm-hmm. Huh. There's actually two in Texas now. There's one in Dallas and one in Austin. So I went to, I went to St. Aug. I knew, I mean, I was the, I was the dude in class where if, some, if one of the professors shit on CrossFit, everybody would turn around and look at me.
0: That was me. Yes. I
1: hated that.
0: It I was, was
1: like, so the- annoying. I was like, why don't any of you just squat? Just maybe do a squat with a barbell on your back not a five pound little pink dinky dumbbell and turn around. Just turn around. Stop looking at me. Um, So I knew that I was going to be in the CrossFit space regardless. Uh, I'd been a coach. I I was a CrossFit coach at Go from 2012 to 2015 whenever I left to go to school. And I did Olympic weightlifting coaching under Matt Bruce. Um Matt Bruce is the co-founder of Brute Strength. So he was a oh yeah. He he was a weightlifting athlete um far before Brute Strength stuff. One of the one of the more famous weightlifting coaches in the US, Gail Hatch, was his coach. And Gail Hatch is from like the the Hatch cycle that you see on Google. That's him, but it's not actually his cycle. It's just some bastardized Excel spreadsheet that hatch weightlifters don't actually do. Great. It's very interesting. I don't know why. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be in the CrossFit space and I knew that I was eventually, I was going to, that was going to mean that I opened up some form of calf practice because I, like going to school, going on an internship, learning about insurance, learning about how business models work, and the, the product that I want to be able to provide, I knew that I was going to want to be in the CrossFit space. So whenever I first came back from my road trip, I was, I was in a space where I just needed to get a job, right? So I took a job at the clinic associated with, um, with go cause they had opened up a clinic next door, um, worked there for a little bit. And then in that, in that time frame, I was approached by a pelvic therapist in Baton Rouge who treated both women and men. Um, pelvic floor therapy was not on my radar. By any, by any means, at any point in time in my existence as a human, or as a PT student, um, it just kind of it just kind of got sprung upon me. So I, I always tell the story that the thing that got me, the thing that was, that she told me that I was like, "Dang, I should probably do this. Like, people need help. Nobody's helping." There's a huge market for it. It's, you know, you get to use pain science. You get to, you know, push people into having better lifestyle choices surrounding their pain and their issues. The story was a dude with testicular pain, um, for years was ruining his quality of life. Saw a bunch of different urologists, um, Nothing got better. Saw like three to, I think it was between three and five urologists. And it got to the point where nobody could help him with any kind of drugs or, you know, cystoscopes. Like, do you know what a cystoscope is?
0: No, please share.
1: It's terrible. It's like this metal syringe looking tube that just goes straight down a dude's urethra Oof. To, to check out the
0: bladder. There's if, no other way to check it out. That's got to be it.
1: Apparently. <laughs> I think, like, it looks terrible. It looks like, you know, uh, you ever seen No Country for Old Men?
0: No, movies, again. Bad movies. I <laughs> know, I'm sorry. Okay, the dude,
1: the dude who's like the serial killer kills people with a, uh, a cow, a cow prod like a, a, a pneumatic, like hydraulic um, nail gun that goes, you know, you know right. what I'm talking about? Where they, they put on the back of a cow's head. Mm-hmm. It's like the most humane way to off a cow. Um, he has that and he murders people with it. This, the, the thing that goes down the, the dick of a dude looks like that, except it looks like one of those old play syringes that used to get in little plastic kits. Shing, goes up in and out. Yep, it's terrible. Everyone, if I have to get it done. Please knock me out, or I'm going in real drunk.
0: They don't knock people out for that. No. And everyone has stopped listening at this point. There's <laughs> no one listening to this podcast anymore. Those very colorful description.
1: Yeah, I've seen a video. It. I don't want to. I don't want to see it in person. I don't want to see it happening on myself again. And if it's ever going to happen, knock me out, or I'm going in with a lot of whiskey in my system. The dude. Did, the dude didn't have any help, right? Nobody could help him. The uh, the the decision to be made to treat this guy's testicular pain was let's just remove it we're just going to take it out so they remove the testicle and he goes home you know he's taking it easy for a couple of weeks and um the pain comes back in the the lone survivor <laughs> in, in the last of the mohicans uh, And all of a sudden, he has – he's Lance Armstrong in it, down to one. And I I can't imagine, like, not having testicular cancer, having a fully functioning, healthy testicle that just really hurts all the time. And getting it removed only to have it come back, like – Testicular pain, scrotal pain, goes back to the urologist and the urologist suggestion at that point was, well, if you want to, if you want to have kids in the future, you should highly consider starting to put sperm in a sperm bank because we're probably going to have to take this one out too. And the dude was just beside himself, like he didn't know what to do continues his you know feverish Google self-searching because he I mean he was at the end of his rope stumbles upon my um, my initial pelvic mentor and he goes to her and like within three two or three treatments the pain's 75 percent better and all of a sudden he sees like this it's a new hope you know? And when I heard that and tried to put myself in, in this dude's situation, I was like, Holy cow. This is, this isn't talked about. It's like a suffering silence thing. Um, it affects way more dudes than you think. And it's not, and a lot of these things aren't as specific as like one thing hurts. Like my, it's not as specific as just the left testicle hurts. It could be a whole bunch of stuff. Um, all of which or some of which don't necessarily have a name. Um, I was just on, I did a podcast for E3 rehab. Oh yeah. And we were talking about other diagnoses surrounding this. Like testicular pain is one of them, Mm -hmm. but another, another popular one is, uh, Prostatitis. Yes. And the history of that diagnosis and what that looks like in the in the pelvic floor space, and how, you know, more often than not, dudes with pelvic pain, just some level of pelvic pain, they have it. They go see a urologist. Historically, we didn't have a we didn't have a word for it. I was I was treating a guy yesterday on on his initial. Initial consultation, he has pelvic pain and it's one of those things where like because the medical community didn't historically have a name, it seems like because it didn't have a name, there was no best practice surrounding the treatment of said thing past really awful antibiotics. So this dude, this guy that I was seeing yesterday Was put on four months of antibiotics. Didn't make anything better, and he was like, he was like, he said he felt like he was dying. Like he was just on the couch, couldn't move. Nothing, nothing was working well. He was having trouble peeing. He was having trouble pooping, and that, you know, that was just that was just the tip of the iceberg in terms of where his issues started but he's had pelvic floor therapy before somewhere else and all of it went away and all they did was just treat the pelvic floor not he didn't have he didn't have a bacterial infection of his prostate so the awareness level with a lot of this stuff is still in its infancy stages and i guess to tie this into the into my origin story um whenever I found out like the lack thereof, like the giant lack in the space from a top down level as well, like not even just medical, let's just use the work. Yeah, let's use the professional physical therapy. Pelvic health used to be the women's health sector mm-hmm. of PT and the men's side was just like one or two side courses that you could take. As a, just as like a rectal, like a butt stuff.
0: Because men stuff. don't have pelvises. Yeah. Obviously.
1: Yeah. And, um.
0: Butt stuff.
1: Butt stuff. I call it butt stuff.
0: Butt stuff 101. I'm
1: try, trying to keep it, try to keep it lighthearted. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I say butt stuff 101, um, for future, clinicians that want to work for me. You got to take a butt stuff one-on-one course before we start. Um, But even, even now there's not, there's still not that much of an option for seeking out more education on it. Um, So like, it's just in all aspects of pelvic floor for dudes, butt stuff for dudes, there's just not that much going on. So seeing that as an opportunity of, I mean, I could be how, how like, uh, how crude is it okay to be on this podcast?
0: Just be yourself. (laughs) People can listen or they don't have to listen. You know, we're talking, I mean, we're talking about pelvic health here.
1: Right. The, with Alinea and me and my business partner, Joey Rosie, we're kind of like in this weird space of we're going to be like the dick docs. Like, in a way, there's nobody else doing it. So we might as well just be.
0: Just go all in.
1: Game of Thrones, Game of Dicks. Theon the-
0: Greyjoy might need you.
1: <laughs> he does. Or not. <laughs> That's terrible. That was actually a good reference. So you're not in the movies, but you are into the shows. HBO cinema.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just like the older movies. Like my parents did it. Didn't do a good job of like making sure I watched these movies. I mean, like I, I can't believe I'm going to say this on um, a podcast. I've never seen Greece. Really? That's, that's pretty bad because until a certain age, like I wasn't allowed to. And then after that, like I just didn't care. And so like I've seen snippets of Grease, but I've never actually seen the full thing. And so people make all these movie references and I'm like, "Eh, I don't know. I don't really, I also get bored. You know, you fall asleep, you watch movies. Have
1: you ever seen Star Wars?
0: Oh God, Uh, a little bit here and there because my brother was a big fan. Um, My boyfriend is a huge fan and he's very upset with me that I haven't seen them. But Harry Potter. I don't
1: know, Potter, I think, I don't know I how he Harry has to make at this point. Huh? That must be a really big roadblock in y'all's relationship.
0: Yeah, we haven't covered it yet, though. So I'll, I'll keep y'all updated. <laughs> so when you, you knew you wanted to be in the CrossFit space, somehow you ran into a pelvic health, health PT. Had no idea what that even meant. I think most of us don't. At what point were you like? Were you like, okay, I'm gonna do it? Like, was it really that easy that you were like, okay, I'm gonna be a dick doctor? Like, yes. I'll
1: uh, well, the, the first step, the first step was I had to commit to going to the continuing education course to get to learn about it, to get certain, to have the certification and being able to do a rectal exam through Herman Wallace is who I went through so so back to the there's not that many options there's Herman and Wallace Institute and then there's the APTA oh. my mentor at the time suggested Herman and Wallace so that's what I did um, before I went she said that you need to be prepared to just like any other you know PT course that you've taken you're the patient and the clinician. So,
0: oh man.
1: Yeah. So, I don't know why getting male models isn't incorporated into this price point of these courses because it should be. But I was, it was like a 10 to 1 chick to dude ratio, right? I was a very hot commodity
0: Obviously. in this.
1: Three day course of being one of five dudes, and there being forty females, and uh, I knew, like, I knew going into it. She said, "You need to expect to be able to have at least forty rectal exams <laughs> <laughs> done on you," because when I went, it was a round robin, like you go, I go, and. If you can't handle one, you, you, you're not gonna be able to handle 40. I knew that, um, I told her the CrossFitter in me, um, golden age CrossFit reference here. The first time Rich Froning did Isabel at 225, I remember him saying something like, I mean, if you can do one at 225, you can do 30. So I was like, oh, yeah, it's just like a snatch. Like, a rectal exam is just like a snatch.
0: If you can do okay. one, you can do 40. Well,
1: if you can do one, you can do 30. A pretty
0: so pretty high barrier to entry for you for this course to want to get into this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's still a thing. Like, I've had some students reach out to me asking, like, how can I get more involved in this? I want to do my last clinical with you. Um, What what do you suggest I do beforehand? And I mean, the best answer I've got at this point in time is you should go take one of these courses because it'll make, it'll give you a foundation of what you would be doing with me in the clinic, but you need to be able to, you need to know that this is what you should expect from the course as it be right now like with as it be with the current state of affairs with like everything that we've already talked about. I don't know. I don't really know any other way besides offering my own course. Right. But even at that point, like the only other option besides a rectal exam is EMG insertion stuff. It's not, doesn't have the greatest evidence or real-time ultrasound. If you're going to do real-time ultrasound, you have to buy a $10,000 ultrasound machine and get certified in that. Like that's not going to happen for a student. It hasn't even happened for me and I'm three years a clinician now. Um, So yeah, there is, there is a barrier to entry for sure. Um, It, it would be even, I think it's even more of a barrier as a student um and the the student this in the student world right now all the students i've talked to it's more and current clinicians it's more it seems to be more dependent on where they went to school like i have some friends in nyc who went to P- pt school in in new york and they had a day where everybody had to do uh a vaginal and rectal exam on a, on a model patient, which super cool for them. If they want to do that or at least have the knowledge of if you had to do it on someone um, you at least know what the process is like, but the barrier to entry literally and figuratively can get a little, little sketchy.
0: Oh god. Great. When so you went to this course, you got a course. lot of attention.
1: Yeah, I didn't get 30 exams. I got more like six. Okay. And a lot of a lot of people saw my junk for science.
0: For the sake of science.
1: That's what I kept telling myself. <laughs> By day three I was pretty I won't say numb to it, but it just, it it didn't bother me at that point.
0: It's kind of like,
1: I had to imagine what it was like to be on a porn set.
0: Now, you know, probably
1: probably the closest I'm ever going to get.
0: Well, at least you ruled that out now as a career option or maybe ruled it in. (laughs) We don't know.
1: We'll see how, we'll see how clinical stuff goes, you know?
0: So you go to this course and then what's next?
1: Then I started my mentorship with my first mentor, um, while also working two other part-time outpatient jobs, um, and just making it work from like a financial and living situation standpoint from a, from a business, most of, most of your audience for this podcast are clinicians, Right.
0: I probably think so. Or students, yeah. um, hard to know. I do think that there is a portion of people like in, especially in Charleston yeah. listen for health and wellness. Um, I, but I think just because of the association with association with made to move, like I know yeah. a lot of students listen.
1: Okay, cool. So the, I guess the point that I wanted to make there is like in terms of making it work from a, like career life's life standpoint. Like the way that I had to make it work was I moved in with my cousin in his condo where his sister and her husband were already living. And I convinced him he's a saint for letting me do this, but he's also like my brother. So it wasn't that hard to convince him, but I convinced him for me to live there and buy bunk beds so I could afford To like pay him minimal rent, stay with him, and work three part time jobs to learn how to do this and not just take a salary gig at an outpatient ortho clinic where I knew where I was going to have money coming in. So, like, it was all risking it for the biscuit, right? There was a point where I knew that I wasn't going to be able to sustain that given the current situation and the dynamics around all three. So when I got to that point, I realized I need to just step out on my own focus on the orthopedics right now, because that's the majority of my caseload and the men's pelvic health patients weren't, it wasn't at the top of the to-do list in the clinic that I was at for the mentorship that I was supposed to be receiving. So I knew I needed to leave. Um, so I started my own thing at that point. At that point, the majority of it was orthopedics cause that's what I knew best. And I was in three different gyms making it happen. Um, and then in that, then I started to bring in, I started to get the word out with, with the pelvic floor things. Um, started to make some ads, started to network with some urologists. And then it's kind of just, it's been a a larger snowball word of mouth thing for me.
0: When did you start Alinea?
1: So I started, Alinea was, we rebranded my personal business, which was Doc Mills Concierge uh, Physical Therapy and Fitness. Mm. That started at the end of,
0: 2019. Oh, okay. Right before COVID. Yeah. Love that.
1: Great time to start a business.
0: Yeah, especially a business that involves you being really close with people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, that was unfortunate timing, but still made it work. Um, and then at the beginning of this year, Alenia was kind of our our bigger brand, our bigger goal, um, which started out as the Alinea Collective, which we still wanted to be that one day, but Alinea Performance is the name of the clinic. So I officially rebranded to Alinea Performance at the beginning of this year as I wanted to bring on additional therapists and grow more of a business, except besides... That's just me personally.
0: So what is men's pelvic health? How much do you get that question? <laughs> I
1: don't, I don't really get that question because it's not brought up. Like it's not a, it's not a thing that many people are aware of in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it's more of like I have this pelvis with a with a dick on it.
0: Yeah, I see that. Just
1: on my desk. And people come in for shoulder pain and they and they see the prostate poster on the wall. And I'm like, yeah, I also do this. So it's kind of like it's kind of like me letting them know that I do it. I'm like, if you ever have a problem, or if your dad has had prostate cancer. Hit me up. I could help. But I I typically say, um, you know, pelvic floor physical therapy is both for men and women. Historically, if you've heard about it, you've probably heard about it in the sense of, you know, a female has had a baby and they're having issues down there with pain or incontinence, and that's That's kind of how this part of the profession started or at least was the most well-known. But it's more than that, and men have pelvic floors too. Um, The most common thing I treat is the most common thing that is a diagnosis that's more in the public eye, which is post-prostatectomy. And with that, you know, guys can expect to be incontinent and have erectile dysfunction, and you know, historically up until up until the mid mid first decade of the 2000s, prostate cancer was almost like a you're either going to get it all removed and you're never going to get a erection again, or you just wait and see if it's going to kill you. Right. I've had some, I've had some patients tell me about friends that got it in the early two thousands and now, and they, they wanted to keep having sex. They didn't want to get, they didn't want to lose their ability to have an erection. So they didn't get surgery and they ended up dying a few years later. Outcomes are very variable. Um, some people would say all men will eventually die with some level of prostate cancer because the prostate naturally enlarges as we age, and it can or cannot be cancerous. Um, but it's a cancer that is less likely to metastasize at an early stage. Right now, depending on where you are in the U.S. or the world, there's different there's different urological perspectives right De- depending on where you are they might do like a wait and see option which is called active surveillance or they'll suggest different differing levels of tests um, I've heard of some, some patients seeking out treatment from like Stanford Medical they do some like freezing techniques on different spots of the prostate and, and then cut the frozen parts out there's a bunch of different stuff that's growing out there.
0: No pun intended. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but the most common is either a radical prostatectomy, which, which is where they just cut it out and hopefully spare the nerves or radiation. And with both, you can expect incontinence and erectile dysfunction. But I call my, my prostate, uh, people, prostate cancer people. It's to a, to a other clinician, I kind of view it as the knee replacement of pelvic floor physical therapy for dudes. It's fairly straightforward. Um, we we have different markers of improvement the most complicated thing is getting dude getting older dudes to want to talk about their sex lives and get them to use a penis pump. Um, that's always, those are always fun conversations to have, but there's anything and everything in between in terms of other diagnoses like rectal pain, pelvic pain in general, testicular pain, um, so other sexual dysfunctions like, not just erectile dysfunction, but premature ejaculation or, um, differing past, uh, injuries of the genitals, like had patients that 20 years ago had a sex accident where they basically broke their penis has never been right since with, with erections. Um, All these things happen and all these things are treatable to a certain extent. It's just the thing is is usually they've sought out either treatment from a urologist or one urologist didn't get multiple opinions or just looked on the internet and there was nothing there so they're just currently living with it. So... Whenever whenever you get these people in front of you and you hear about what they have done and you hear about the large amount of things that they have not done, there's a lot of hope in that they haven't really done anything to help the situation. Um, And in order to help the situation, regardless of the diagnosis, I put it into three different buckets. I put it into the bucket of bowel and bladder function, sexual function and function function, like how your body functions on a day to day basis. How do you sleep internal and external stressors? Do you actually exercise? Do you strength train? Those three buckets, regardless of the diagnosis need to be hit on and assessed to get a full understanding of what's going on
0: down there. So let's say like pelvic pain is the umbrella term for all of the different things like that people come to you for. How common is pelvic pain? Because I feel like there's this kind of like, there's like the secrecy of like, I don't really know what you do as a pelvic, men's pelvic health PT. And if I don't even know really what you do, then like the guy walking down the street, he probably doesn't even know that he's experiencing like pelvic pain. Like how many people are walking around with this and they, they don't get treatment for it.
1: Yeah. I think the stat currently is one in 10 men will experience pelvic pain.
0: Yeah. Like that's extremely common.
1: Yeah. So if you extrapolate that to the U S population, it's like, I I did the math recently. I think it's like 6 million. It's a lot. Yeah. It's so a lot of dudes.
0: At what point do people generally come to you? Do they like, are you the first, are you direct access? Have they tried a lot of things and they kind of hear about you?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm direct access, but I live in South Louisiana. So the, the commonality of the public knowing about direct access physical therapy it's not it's not the best right now i've done i've been fighting tooth and nail in terms of being strongly opinionated about it and outspoken about how you have direct access to a physical therapist um and that has caught on in a grassroots way Mm -hmm. but I always make the star wars reference that you won't get of most dudes end up coming to me and i'm like obi-wan and they're my i'm their only hope like they've done everything else it's been years mm-hmm. they're at, they're at their last like they're on their last straw and they don't know what to do so it's it's unfortunate that it takes that long. It's unfortunate that there's, there seems to be minimal resources on the internet and minimal referral to what it actually, like even the guys, like some guys that I've had say that they've gone to pelvic floor PT before, but they just got one of the sensors put up their butt And told to do Kegels, like pelvic pain, which is not, that's not the vibe. Um, So, I mean, it's, it's very complex to determine why there's such a lack of knowledge surrounding it. But there's so many, there's so many people that do.
0: It's so new. The
1: pelvic pain thing is the one out of 10. That's just pelvic pain. That's yeah. not even, prostate cancer is the most common cancer in dudes. I think that's, I do have to look that up because I, that, that stat's not on the top of my head, but I think it's, it might be one in five men will have, wow. the, will have di- been diagnosed by prostate can- with prostate cancer. Um, don't quote me on that, but it's a lot. I mean, it, it's a lot of men.
0: I can also imagine, like, yes, being in South Louisiana, direct access. People don't don't really know what that means. People also don't want to talk about pelvic floor issues. You know, like there's probably a a barrier to entry there. Um, I believe it's the 49th out of 50th unhealthy states, right? Like Mississippi. Mississippi is the first one, I think. We're
1: always we're always fighting for the the worst. Healthy, yeah.
0: Yeah. So in terms of other like lifestyle factors too, don't really have a lot of that going for us and stroke belt in that area too. So whether that means you're at more risk or that you just are unaware, it just, it's not, I can't imagine like, let's compare South Louisiana to Boston Mm -hmm. or to New York city or to DC um, or to Portland, like not the most progressive and, like, I say that knowing because I'm from South Louisiana. My, I have family that lives in South Mississippi. If I were to explain to my grandparents what you do, I, I mean, it's probably very sinful, you know? Mm-hmm. It's unheard of, but yet you can go to a urologist, you can go to a physician, and it's accepted. hmm but it's, it's not accepted for some guy who works in a gym.
1: Right. Well, the funny thing about that is more often than not, when, a guy, when I have gotten patients sent to me from urologists, one of the first things they, they ask is like, is it okay for me to just share? And I'm like, sure. Tell me everything. The more I know, the more I can help you. Cause we got these three buckets of things that I need to know about. So I'm going to ask you questions about them. So if you, if you want to just start talking by all means, I think it's like the male, um, I think it would be correct to say men are prideful in a general sense, but like whenever you're, whenever you have a very small amount of pride in you and then you start talking about your genitals, That's like a whole new world of, I don't want to talk about this. Um,
0: Very personal.
1: It is very personal. And
0: also like to, I think there's a stigma to admit that something is wrong in that area. Whether like shoulder pain, everybody's got shoulder pain. Like I, Uh, I don't feel judged for having shoulder pain. I don't feel like there's something wrong with me for that, but pelvic floor dicey.
1: Mm-hmm. Fun fact about erectile dysfunction. I'm sure you haven't had this statement said to you.
0: <laughs> I love fun facts about erectile dysfunction. Actually,
1: fun fact about erectile dysfunction. If you are a dude and you're in your like late 30s, early to mid 40s, and you start having erectile dysfunction problems, erectile dysfunction at an early age like that, even. I mean, this could even happen in 20 in 20 year olds to, based off how unhealthy we are as a country right now. If you have erectile dysfunction that early on in life, it is a precursor to cardiovascular disease and a potential cardiovascular event three to five years down the road that came that came from me researching the, uh, the UK urology journal. Is that that's what they had to say about that. Um other fun fact, sex is about as difficult from a cardiovascular standpoint as walking up a flight of stairs.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're related. That's why there's a prediction like there's a correlation there.
1: Mm-hmm. Huh. So like guys that you hear about like old dudes getting risque, going with their mistress to a hotel in the mountains and having a cardio cardiovascular event like heart attack mid-sex, it's because they couldn't tolerate the demand of sex.
0: It's because it's like a workout.
1: <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a workout.
0: Um, in that can we pause? What is treatment look like and obviously it depends on the person but like give me a few possibilities like i'm sure there's a there's hands-on like it sounds yeah. like there's a rectal exam and there somewhere and then yeah. like all the way to like what are these people doing on their own at home in the gyms
1: so it's very dependent on what is going on um which is still, is it's still one of those things that, as a profession, we're still learning about. Like, if if someone would, if a ther- if a pelvic therapist would label someone's pelvic floor as hypertonic, right, or a tight pelvic floor, um, it's in general with that problem, someone is not going to get better if they're just exclusively doing Kegels right? If, if someone is generally hypertonic, there's other lifestyle factors that you should probably look at, which there's usually high stress, high anxiety going on. Um, There's most likely some bowel and bladder changes that have become habitual. Um, And it just, it's, it comes with the different territories, right? It, it, the the habits form around the issue, and it's kind of like you got to determine which came first, what habits have they begun to form. I always consider the three buckets: bowel and bladder, sexual function, 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 and which one of those buckets can we start to make a a quick change. If it's a, if it's an older guy who's had prostate cancer and like my guy this morning had prostate cancer, didn't really get given anything to, to do from a standpoint of like, this is how you do a Kegel. Like at least some, more often than not, most urologists will give a handout like from the eighties on like stop your flow of urine do that forever i don't know or until it out. stops yeah which is not the best intervention <laughs> but for for instance this guy drinks so little water that he basically has a 1 to 1 ratio of liquids in liquids out that end up on the pad like he only pees at night Whenever he wakes up to go pee and he does it three times a night, which is way too much. If you're not drinking enough water because you don't want to increase the amount of pee that you're peeing on yourself, you're going to decrease your amount of water and you're also going to decrease the volume of your bladder. Right? So it's like this slippery slope of I don't want to drink more water because I don't want to pee on myself more. I'm not going to drink more water now my bladder is full, but I'm still going to pee on myself just a smaller amount because I can't control it and it's just it's it's a negative feedback loop. So something as simple as up This next week before you before I see you again, I want you to upregulate your water intake by 10% Like small habit changes can go a long way Um, What what kind of bowel and bladder habits like how often are you going to the bathroom? When you go to the bathroom, it's very common for dudes with pelvic pain to feel like they have to push to pee you should never have to push to pee as a dude. Like, it's a, it should be a very relaxing experience. <laughs> you should relax to initiate. Um, like just letting a door open. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to Jean-Claude Van Damme kick the door open in order to initiate peeing. Um, all of those things, again, it, it's a very variable contextual situation where depending on what's going on, they have these different factors going on. If, I, if I'm if i doing a virtual assessment and we're doing a, an initial consultation, I'm gonna cover all these different habits and I want you to just try to, try to change these things on a small scale basis and monitor them as you continue to change them and things should start to get better regardless if if we do any interventions just changing the habit
0: so changing the lifestyle bucket can change the other two buckets mm-hmm. how do people accept that how well do people accept if i address my stress my sleep my anxiety my workouts my water intake my relationships that will affect my pelvic pain.
1: I, I would say they wouldn't accept it that great. If you just talked about all of those things as a list of things versus you have your clinical list of things that you want to inquire about. And then you give them like these self realization techniques to be like, Oh, all of this is related to this problem. Like all of this is, all of these things are happening. I have a lot, a lot of different things to work on. Um, whenever they, whenever they come to their, whenever they come to that realization on their own, when you guide them, it's a much smoother experience as well as getting by and to Oh, we, we really need to work on these things. The most difficult thing up in, up until this point is getting older dudes to drink more water. It's like it's like, it's like getting a toddler to eat and not just bang their food around on a plate. Like it's kind of it's kind of funny to me. Like, dude, you just need to drink more water first. Like, please just stop drinking exclusively coffee, yeah, lunch juice. And fill a glass of water up and just pound it. Just drink right. it. Just drink it.
0: What's something that's really normal or like really common, but not normal? So like waking up in the middle of the night to pee three times. Pretty common for people to wake up in the middle of the night. Not normal. What are some other things?
1: That's probably the most common one. Um, over wiping when you when you poop. Really? Yeah.
0: How do you ask about that?
1: Whenever we're talking about bowel movement habits, I usually start with how many times a day do you poop? And they say once a day, I'm like, "Okay, great. Some guys will say once every third day." And I'm like, "How do you how do you live comfortably if you're not?
0: That's why they're coming to see you." <laughs>
1: well this is usually this is usually post prostatectomy guys it, it falls into one of those you know it's a, it's a hydration thing if you don't hydration and, and diet with poop is like the it's like a it's a multi multifaceted issue like there's the fiber intake issue there's if you don't have enough hydration in your system stuff's just not going to move and your stool is going to be super hard and unmovable. And then if you do all these weird things with your pelvic floor and you don't know how to contract and relax it well, you're going to be overly pressurizing your abdomen to just wail on your poor little butthole muscle that's holding on for dear life because it doesn't know what else to do. And you're just forcing it to open. So you're going to probably develop a hemorrhoid at some point, or you're not going to know how to close it. And you're going to feel like you have to keep wiping in endless poop. And then you're going to eventually develop fissures, fissures in the butt because you wipe so many times. the, what from what i learned with herman and wallace the average amount of times that one should wipe their butt is around 3 3 to 5 5 on the high end if you're if you're regularly having to wipe more than 5 times you either need to like check what you're doing down there or reassess hydration or food intake because it shouldn't be that much. More often than not, in those situations, the common thing is people leave their, uh, they leave the gate open, right? Like the external anal sphincter, the last muscle of the butt. That muscle is very similar to the muscles around your lips. They're, it's like an O orientation, right? So if they're leaving, it's kind of like like pursed lips versus like Mm -hmm. that. If they leave their, if they leave their butthole relaxed, that you can almost think of it kind of like they're reaching into themselves to continue to wipe because they feel like they're still not clean because the, because the door's open. So we encourage in those cases, if you've wiped three times and there's still some stuff there, do a Kegel, lift the butt, re-wipe. If there's not as much or there's pretty much nothing, stop wiping.
0: So now we know how much wiping is too much wiping. So why isn't waking up in the middle of the night to pee, why isn't that normal?
1: So the general rule of thumb that we give our patients is if you can um, hold your bladder, if you have the capacity, right? This isn't like a, I'm not saying an everyday thing, like you should only pee every four hours, but if you have the capacity to not pee for four hours, you should have the capacity to sleep a full eight hours. So it's like double of waking hours and you should be able to sleep through the full night. If you're going to get eight hours of sleep. Um, if, if you're not able to do that, or if you're a light sleeper, being a light sleeper can, can make a difference. Like I've had some guys that say they're super light sleepers and they don't really have to pee when they wake up, but they do it as a just in case. And I'm like, Oh, okay, well that's a little, that's a little different flavor of this problem in the sense of they don't have a strong urge to pee. Like they're not waking up peeing on themselves in a dream because they were, they really had to pee and they're peeing in the dream and now they're peeing on themselves. It's not that it's like, well, I just woke up and now I have to pee or I think I need to. So I'm going to just, I'm just going to go. That kind of falls in the same instance of like peeing at first urge in the middle of the day. Um which can also be a negative effect in these situations. But you know it ha- it from a mechanical standpoint, it just has mostly to do with how quickly your bladder fills up based off what your kidneys are doing while you're sleeping. Like you just have to have a, a general higher level of capacity of the bladder in order to not, get all that stretch reflex going, which is going to signal your brain of, oh, and you go pee. So for the sleep, it's, it's largely dependent on just what is your max capacity of the bladder.
0: So what are some things that are either like ways, maybe not to prevent it, but like ways to make sure you're maintaining good pelvic health and then mm-hmm. like warning signs of like when you should see a pelvic health pt
1: for bowel and bladder function
0: yes or just like men like men's pelvic health in general like i'm not a man so you know i'm not really sure but like i'm sure there are a lot of things that are just kind of like commonplace people brush over them they think they're normal they don't, they think they don't mean anything but they actually might be part of something.
1: Most men think it's just a common thing, kind of like the common but not normal with women and how older, historically older women now say, oh, well, you're just going to pee on yourself when you get older and and you had babies, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's not a, it's not a absolute. Um, Similarly, the, the dude mantra is, you're going to get older. So you're going to start waking up more mm-hmm. to because your prostate is enlarging. Um, but with that, like something, things that you can self consider or appraise in your life is what does your water intake look like? Is it relatively around half your body weight in ounces? Is it, um, like how often are you going to pee? How long are you peeing whenever you go to pee? Um, do you have to push to pee? Those things can be more bladder habits. Uh, the number one thing for for dudes and and pooping is like, is there blood? Are you getting blood on your toilet paper because you're wiping? like everything's so inflamed down there from the habit of over wiping that you've pissed off the the tissues down there that now they're bleeding because they're cracked right and then once you do that it's like every time you poop there's going to be some level of ripping the scab off so there's going to be more blood and then it's just this this cycle very very common that that happens in dudes of all ages um I've seen it in early 20-year-olds. I've seen it in late 70s. That and then how many times a day do you poop or how many days go by before you poop? Are you regularly having constipation or diarrhea? My pelvic pain guy that I was telling you about from yesterday, whenever whenever he got on those really hard antibiotics, that happened in t- in 2013 ever since then he's he's had problems with bloating and gas ever since um, i have a friend her name's valerie she's an rd and we've had a couple pa- i've had a couple of patients with these kinds of issues that i sent to her and she talks about like the gut biome and the bacteria in the intestines And it's the easiest way to think about it as like a, as a patient is if your intestines don't have the bacteria necessary to break down these different foods, things get sticky. And because other bacteria are working double time to try to break this down, you get super gassy. Mm -hmm. So if you've never given your body time to, re re up these bacteria in your gut it's going to have a negative effect on your ability to be to feel gassy and bloated and if you're not addressing that like in certain instances i've had had patients um with with past like trauma to their abdomen like um crap what's the one i always forget the name of this i want to call it colic that's for babies. Um, <laughs> I'll think of it. But the the problem where like your intestines attack themselves and can cause cell death. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I think it's inter, inter, uh, interstitial cystitis. Is that it?
0: Ooh, we did or not hear about system?
1: that. I always forget the word. Yeah. That can cause your that can cause your intestines to need to be removed, right? So if you lose a spot of your intestine, you lose some of that integrity. That kind of stuff, like diet, will ultimately affect pelvic floor health because that's going to – the diet and the bloating and the gas and the pendulum swing of diarrhea and constipation is going to affect how you operate your pelvic floor when you go to poop there's there's no way around it. So in those, in those regards, like, yeah, you need to, you know, I'm getting give you my friend Valerie's phone number and you're going to call her and I'm going to do a consultation because there's a lot of nutritional things that are potential deficits going on with you right now that we need to get addressed. Cause this is going to negatively impact your pelvic floor.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Like you mentioned earlier, if you're not going to the bathroom, like, If you're not pooping, well, poop comes from eating and from hydration. Like, so if you don't have those things figured out, like then you have pelvic pain, but if you have pelvic pain, because you don't have those things figured out, like you got to figure those things out. Like there's so many things that are closely connected. Like even being a primarily musculoskeletal PT, like it's nutrition is still foundational. And now even, even more as a pelvic health PT of course, like it makes total sense. And the guy that was on antibiotics for for four months, like of course his gut bacteria is all off. And I don't think people often realize like years later, what things have caused like secondary impairments.
1: It's crazy to me that it's something that's been going on for eight years and that it's never gotten better. Like to me anything that I've dealt with like that in that regard, like there's usually an eventual cutoff point where things start to get better. But like he's been in the same boat with, with that kind of stuff off and on for the full eight years. Jeez. It's, it begs the question of like, well, what, what are, what are things that no matter what you do, if you don't address them, it's just not going to get better. I think, I think in the, in the PT profession, whenever I was coming out of school and I was observing all of these internet arguments between like movement PTs and pain science PTs, there was a strong push for like the nuance of we'll just wait and see if it gets better and just keep doing your thing and it'll eventually get better. Mhm. in this world doesn't really seem like that fits into the into the mantra yeah
0: like, like natural everyone, progression
1: yeah everyone that i've seen that was doing better like i've had one guy he's my dentist uh who had prostate cancer and had no incontinence following surgery how much of that is he's like in the 99th percentile of fitness for his age group. He's a lifetime hiker of large freaking mountains in the Alps, and he's a sailboat guy who knows how to operate all these things. He already does functional fitness. He can deadlift over 300 pounds. Like this dude's core is strong. Upon initial assessment, his pelvic floor wasn't the greatest, but he was pretty good at compensating minimally Hmm. we just did a couple things and then it was it was was good to go so what level is the predisposition of where you're at going to give you the be a good indicator of what your long-term outcome is going to be because especially with prostate cancer like it's mostly the mantra in the urology world has been well you'll eventually get continent at some point, 12 happen. to 16 months. 12 to 16 months down the road, it'll eventually get better. But what does the quality of life look like up until that point is what I always ask. More often than not, in this world, there needs to be some level of an intervention. That that idea on my behalf, I'm fully open to it changing eventually, right? It might change, it might not, it might. The point might get proven more and more or it might get flipped on its head I'm cool with that as long as people are getting better but the wait-and-see thing it I just don't see it
0: Well, I think like there's a big push for that you know again like following the internet gurus of PT you see people arguing of like over medicalization uh, people arguing like less visits don't need to treat it. Like, tell your patients it's going to go away. And like a lot of that, I get that we're trying not to over medicalize and do unnecessary treatment. But like what the unnecessary treatment was, was that guy getting his testicle removed, not him coming to see you as a PT. So,
1: to, be to squat better. What? be encouraged to squat better or like, so, okay. So you you came to see me. So this is what I encourage all my prostate guys with is I'm going to get you to this point, but at the same time, you're like 30 pounds overweight. You have a giant belly. You have a pressurization problem. We should probably work on your fitness a little bit to, but also because strength and conditioning decreases your mortality in general but there's also solid signs to say that if you are regularly doing strength training that your chance of your prostate cancer coming back is way less so this is this is my long-term plan for you is a three-day strength conditioning program that i know how to put together because i know how to program and i know how to program with the intent of You had a prostate surgery. You also have a bad knee and long-term back pain.
0: There are quotes, people. Quote on quotes.
1: Quotes. (laughs) Uh, Air for sure. And all of these things can have a negative impact for your long-term outcomes simply because you're not going to move more, right? So I want you moving more, but things are also going to come up along the way right we're always going to be working towards you moving better or increasing your weight here or getting a few more reps there or increasing your overall capacity so you can go on that vacation to Europe that you've been waiting to go on because you're scared to go because you're going to pee on yourself the whole time but you can't maintain you can't maintain your pelvic floor contraction at a lower level for an increased period of time because your endurance is not good mm. overall, not just pelvic floor. So it all folds in on itself in my mind. Um, and to to answer one, or to go back to one of your original questions as to like why I got into the pelvic floor space, is it didn't take me long to realize. It was, it was probably after I saw my first patient with, with pelvic floor issues. Where I was like, dang, most of these dudes could benefit equally from, or not, I'm, I'm not going to say equally, but like the last 30% of their problem should be seen through, the ortho, through an orthopedic lens. And if they only go to a certain percent, yeah, they might not be having these immediate problems, but they're not going to increase their performance or their total capacity. And I saw that as a, as a great part of what I was already doing in my business or what, what I wanted to do with my, my programming capabilities long-term for my, my patients.
0: It's a great way to combine it and to say, hey, look, I know this is what you're dealing with right now, but this is where I want you to be. It's not that we're just gonna figure out how to get rid of some of these symptoms. It's how are we gonna take you from here to here to here to here to here? Yeah. Because it, it seems like a lot of the things we talked about are like way down the line. Like someone who's super fit, hydrating sufficiently, eating well, manages their stress well, it seems pretty rare that they have all of these, these issues. It seems like all once all those things kind of start to go later down the line, then people start having pelvic pain, testicular pain. The, um, the dentist was much better off after his prostate cancer um, than maybe someone who wasn't as fit. And so it's like all these people are losing in life in a lot of different ways. And then they get this. And then that's what makes them address it. Because they're like, I need directions. I need to poop and I need to not pee myself in the middle of the night. So it's like, there's these things that are like, Oh shit, like I have to change something. And then you mm-hmm. take that and you're like, this is a symptom of the overall issue of like the function function bucket. Let me help you. Yeah. With that. It's yeah. pretty cool. I like it. That was a
1: pretty good. Ex- Boom.
0: Boom. <laughs> I mean, I think we're all starting to realize like how much these things matter, like how much talking about sleep matters, talking about nutrition matters that it like we aren't operating in silos anymore.
1: Yeah, it's the craziest thing to me is how long it took us to realize that and how much longer it's going to be that now that some people realize it, that it's going to be a, a common thought. Oh, like that's going to be. Bubble. Yeah. Um, it's, it's probably going to be at least another 10 to 15 years before it's like a societal thing. But at that point, 80% of the American population might be obese. Like, I don't know.
0: What is it at now?
1: It's on a trajectory to be looking like that.
0: Yeah, if things nice. change. That's tough. Yeah.
1: I think it's like 40% now.
0: I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up after this. But where can our listeners find you in your clinic? You can do virtual visits, right? Like, Where can we all find your information?
1: Yeah. So my info, my personal info as well as booking a session with me can be found in my link, link in bio on Instagram. Um, You can find me on Instagram at docmills.dpt. You could find the clinic at Alinea performance on Instagram, as well as Facebook, as well as www.alineaperformance.com.
0: Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, William. This has been great. This was fun. Yes. Thank Thank you. you. I would talk more, but got to go see a patient, you know?
1: Oh you have a patient right after this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I need to plan that a little better.
1: I'm getting internet installed in my house right after this. so
0: Wow, you don't have internet.
1: I just I just got my first house.
0: Oh congrats. Thank you. You bought in this market. Good for you.
1: It was uh, it was a diamond in the rough deal. That's cool. All things considered. yeah way too much math, don't like math. To learn how to like math in order to make the decision so
0: yeah well congrats thank you all right everyone thanks for listening cool bye see ya. bye thank you so much for joining us everyone we hope you enjoyed this episode head on over to instagram find us at healthy charleston Leave us a review on iTunes. If you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on, feel free to DM us. Otherwise, thanks again.